You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfractions.com. NCI Properties. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back at it again with the Zone 32 podcast. NZI's only all 32 podcast presented by NutraZone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties and online at NutraZoneInfraction.com. Max, Grant, and Jake here with uh, week 11 action in the NFL. We're going to get right into it. First off, guys, say what's up. What's up, my friends? What's up, my friends? <laughs> all right, so we got a lot to hit on today, and we're going to start with Raven-centric news. The uh, Ravens have signed uh, tight end Luke Wilson, most recently of the Seattle Seahawks, to the practice squad. Now, this signing is presumably a reaction to this past weekend's uh, atrocious showing against the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football. But, Jake, uh, entering this show, I wanted you to kind of do a little research and contextualize the signing a little bit. So why don't you talk to the people? Tell us what you found about Wilson. Uh, give a little background on his history prior to Baltimore and how he's going to help this team moving forward. Well, he's kind of a journeyman tight end. I'm going to be a journeyman electrician, so eventually I will get to his stature, but in my own trade. But that's neither here nor there. He came into the league in 2013 as a fifth-round pick out of Rice to the Seattle Seahawks. He was actually Vance McDonald's backup at Rice. He was a combine phenom running a 4.5740. That speed didn't show up on film, but either way, that's what he tested for. The Seahawks brought him in to essentially be a backup tight end, and he made some plays for him. He never really averaged over, he usually averaged about 20, 30 catches the season, 200, maybe 300 yard yards a season. It was, it was minimal, but he's a, he was a fine player for him. He left, I want to say in 2017 and flocked around and played for a couple of teams. He played for the lions and he played for the Raiders. If I'm not mistaken for a second, came back last year, getting signed to Seattle's, to back to Seattle because they had injuries to tight end. Like I think after Will Disley went down, they had to bring in Hollister. They brought Luke Wilson in to be his backup essentially. But he's a solid player. He's essentially going to play Hayden Hurst in our offense because he gives effort as a blocker, but he's not an elite blocker by any stretch. So he's not replacing Nick Boyle. He'll essentially be the re- the other receiving threat when Mark Andrews is bracketed and taken away. All right now. If we're going to look past the perception of Wilson as a workout warrior who uh, flashed at the combine but hasn't really done a whole lot on the stat sheet um, as a professional in the league, Grant, I, I kind of – this is before we get into the the recap of this past Sunday night's game. How is Wilson signing going to help the Ravens, you think, other than just being another body to fill the void with Nick Boyle being out for the season? I mean, depth is a huge key component of that, too. I mean, but, you know, anytime that you can get, um, you know, like you said, he's a journeyman. So that means that he's, you know, knows multiple schemes. You know, he's been there. He's a blocking tight end. He's a receiving tight end. He's kind of a combo. He's not really a, a strong strength at either one versus the other, but he's a good combination. Kind of that whole thing, you know good at a couple things, not great at anything. But um, I think that gives him a good opportunity to come in and just kind of, you know, be a veteran presence and depth on the tight end position. But I think he could contribute, you know, in both the blocking and the passing game. I mean, he's not going to fill Nick Boyle's, 
spot there. I mean, you're talking about a, the best blocking tight end in football where some compare that if you were to say, you know, in comparison to right tackles, he blocks as well as some of the best right tackles in the game in tight end formation. So, I mean, you know, you, you can't really replace that. And like Greg Roman said today, I mean, you they're going to have to kind of change their, you know, their approach a little bit, but well, they're going to have to do that anyways. Um but no, I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to contribute. I think it's a good signing. I mean, vet minimum deal, you know, just kind of like you said, an insurance policy. Um, but, you know, he's he's, he's going to contribute. Um, I'm still waiting for that old 88 train to get promoted. I mean, I'm not going to keep harping about it, but when you throw <laughs> up the X, you throw up that damn X, man. Well, hey, I mean, practice squad movement is is virtually unlimited from week to week. It's not as there's any real restrictions, so we could see Dez and Wilson both on the field this coming Sunday. That's not. I think it. I mean, I I think it's a good game for Dez to make an appearance. I mean, we want to power football. It's going to be a power running game. See what he's got, man. I mean, at this point, what do you have to lose? I mean, it's not like anybody else is really outperforming anything. I mean, Willie Sneed's a number one receiver. It's not a knock on him. He's just not a number one receiver. Um, so, I mean, it would be a good game, but you know, I had, I had to throw in, uh, my little Des Bryant jab in there a little bit to get that man up. Hey, I don't not blame you. With, not to mention with bringing him in, you get to go back to the big personnel and play the three tight end sets that did so right for the Ravens offense last year. He might not be Hayden Hurst, but I'm confident in him winning against a Sam linebacker in coverage. That's not a problem. Oh, yeah, not well, not to mention that was it against the Colts. They had a defensive tackle, Danico Autry, against him in coverage. Luke Wilson can get open against that. That's not a problem. So all things considered, it'll help. It should help the run game because he's a willing blocker. So he'll he'll make it to his assignments. Bringing and, off Colkin off the edge, not the edge, but off the practice squad as well, will also help that. So get back to what you were doing before. It might not be quite the same, but it'll still be effective because defenses want to match up heavy personnel with heavy personnel. And if you can sling it against that, defenses have some issues. Well, and, and the reason why we're we're talking about Wilson and and bringing up Des Bryant and, and all these other scenarios is because, I mean, as the nation saw this past Sunday night, I mean, the Ravens disappointed. And we're going to get into that game now, recapping it a bit. Um, on Sunday Night Football, I mean, the Ravens, fell to the Patriots on the road, 23-17 in the middle of a monsoon. Jake, stay with me for a second here because I'm going to hit you first. But in that in this particular game, I mean, despite Lamar Jackson's best efforts with the inclement weather, with all the injuries, everyone going down, including Nick Boyle out for the season, with receivers dropping passes left and right, and just with, on the other side of the ball, the Patriots just gashing that run defense with Rex Burkhead, of all, of all people. Um, I mean, it was a recipe for disaster. And Greg Roman, as Grant alluded to, said that the, you know this team needs to find a new identity moving forward. But as Chib said on Twitter, this team just needs an identity, period. So, Jake, talk to me. What? What stood out to you the most besides the weather from this past Sunday night's game against the Patriots? And I guess more to the point, what most uh, contributed to that loss? Well, there's a myriad of issues with that offense that don't include the weather. One, you're playing against a coach who's been coaching in the NFL for over 40 years. He's seen every single offense known to man. The interesting thing I took is last game, last year, Belichick blitzed religiously against any and every suitor. He blitzed against the Ravens, and Lamar made him pay for it. 
This year, it was mostly three man, a three-man rush, four-man rush. There is even a play when he ran for a first down. They sent nine people into coverage. They rushed their two defensive tackles, so everyone else dropped off. So obviously, no one's going to get open against that. Then one end comes crashing down. Lamar gets out the pocket, and the other end comes crashing down. He gets out the pocket, gets up the field, past the line of scrimmage, and rushes for the first down. So I mean. If you're dropping nine into coverage, no one's going to get open. I don't care if you have Randy Moss or Jerry Rice and Calvin Johnson to work with. That's that's not going to work out. But one, they don't have a consistent pass catcher on that roster. Mark Andrews is good. He's the only thing that they have, but defenses can take that away. But there's no receipt, there's no receiver on the roster that can be consistent enough for you to make a play when you need with the game on the line. Police needs fine. I don't like him as a number one at all. Not to mention, as soon as Calais Campbell went down last week, the Colts started running the ball more effectively. And then this fast forward to this week, Brandon Williams going down, and the Patriots started gashing us on the ground. Rex Burkhead tearing him up out the backfield, catching passes, catching the wide receiver pass from Jacoby Myers, also taking the dump off from Cam and making it into the end zone as well. And Damian Harris rushing for over 100 yards. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he had, what, 15, maybe 19 carries for a buck 21. He didn't get in the end zone, but, I mean, damn. There's a point in the game up until, like, the very end, they just couldn't stop him from running the ball. And it's – those are the things that played the biggest role to losing that game. To me, I actually didn't hate the decision to try to throw a jump ball all to get down the field. I do hate the fact he tried throwing a deep ball to Hollywood Brown and trying to throw him a 50-50 ball because <laughs> he's five foot nine and he's not Steve Smith. He's not an aggressive if receiver in that, that aspect. He has to get separation. So if you're going to do that, one needs to be on the outside shoulder or he needs to be just DB clean. And quite frankly, J.C. Jackson put the clamps on him. So unless it was Dez, if it's Dez in that situation, then hey, he's not going to get separation anyway. So let's see if he can go make a play. Well, if it like, does in that situation, it's getting caught. And I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up Dez. I'm glad you brought up Dez, Jake, because I'm going to come back to that in a second. But finish your thought there. I'm just saying, treat it like if you're going to throw that kind of pass, you need to treat it with a receiver like how Joe treated Anquan Bolden during the 2012 playoffs. Just throwing it up and be like, no, nah, you got it. It's good. That DB is not going to stop you. So they didn't have a receiver to do that. Miles Boykin's not that kind of dude. He's He's size, but he's not all that physical. So you need an aggressive receiver in that kind in that kind of instance. So I didn't hate the I didn't hate the decision to throw the long ball or even to throw a 50-50 ball. I just didn't like going to Hollywood in that instance. So there's that. Lamar yep. Jackson's a fantastic quarterback as well. Like I'll take him over Kyler. I'll take him over Josh Allen. I'll take him over Deshaun Watson. Watson's closer to me than the other two. I mean, look at what the hell they have to work with. Kyler Murray's got Christian Kirk, the Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald, to me, the fifth best receiver in NFL history, and then DeAndre Hopkins, that beast of a man who caught the game when he touched down against the Bills with three people on him, including Trey White. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to have better numbers and better stats and everything. Then he's turned the ball over more than Lamar has, too. Then you get Josh Allen. You gave him Stephon Diggs. To go with huh? to go with Smokey Smokey Brown, who I do kind of miss in Baltimore, but that's neither here nor there. 
But you get those two, though, dude, and all reliable and Cole Beasley. I mean, of course they're going to put up better numbers. They have a far superior cast to work with. Lamar has Willie Steed and Mark Andrews. Well, I love Mark Andrews, but, I mean, you have Willie Steed to work with, who's not a bad receiver, but he's not a number one. Hey, it's, it's not a supporting cast if you only got two guys who can catch the ball, or at least who've shown they can catch the ball, though Mark Andrews is debatable this year with all his drops. But no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the 50-50 ball, Jake, because this is going to set off a, an intense, uh, intense little rant from Grant in a sec here. Um, so, Jake, I'm going to cut you off there because, Grant, I, I want you to say something here. This, this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is your chance to be impassioned here. Now, we mentioned Des Bryant already, we, we, and I know you have some opinions on the 50-50 ball. So I'm not even going to ask you whether or not Des Bryant can make that catch. We've already established that. And that 50-50 ball, that interception was not the crucial turning point of the game. Can, can we agree on that first before we, we move on? Can we agree on that? Agreed. All right, so since that was not the critical moment that cost them the game, okay, there's clearly a larger problem with the wide receiving core in general. And the supporting cast, again, Jake, this is why I'm glad you brought that up, that supporting cast. Grant, I want you to talk about this. Even with bringing up Des Bryant, even if we were to activate Luke Wilson off the practice squad, what do the Ravens need to do to fix the supporting cast? Or rather, what can they do in the now, in, in the middle of this season, in this march towards the playoffs, because there, there are a lot of problems around them, not just because of injuries, but just chemistry in general. Talk to us about that supporting cast, Jake, or Grant, sorry. Um, I mean, realistically, uh, watching that game last week, I, I noticed a lot more things. And then when I went back to watch previous games, um, just to skim through, I started to notice the trend. Um, a lot of times the offensive line gets a lot of discredit, which myself has, has been on them because, I mean, they are terrible. A lot of shuffling, though. But the receivers, man, like I've never seen anything like it at this level to where if a play breaks down or they're covered in their route, they just stand there or they jog and look a different way. Like what happened to scramble drills? What happened to breaking routes off? What happened to helping your quarterback? And I'm glad Jake brought up that play from earlier where the Patriots dropped nine. Go back and watch that play again and watch what every single receiver does. They run their route half-ass. He's scrambling around breaking tackles. They're sitting there just with their thumb up their ass, not even doing anything. And he's sitting there directing them, trying to tell them where to go. They should know where the holes are. You got a guy on your back. Hey, what's up, dude? It's man coverage. Go find a spot. Get open. They don't know what you're doing at that point. Your quarterback's running to his arm side. Get open, break off your route, come back. Like that type of shit was annoying. And, you know, watching that and seeing that, you know, that just comes down to the player themselves at that point. That comes down to you having a knowledge and a veteran presence of the game, you know, having an awareness to understand and help your quarterback. Like Lamar gets all the heat, but damn, go watch that receiving core. I know they're not loaded. And, and, you know, it goes both ways. Like the whole Hollywood thing. I mean, He's not a number one. He's not a guy that's going to muscle you down the field. Like he's a, he's a, a shifty kind of just speed guy. Um, and bringing up John Brown, I mean, they're basically the same person. Um, and, you know, you can't, he, he's, he's in, I'm worried about his confidence and you can't really keep harping on him because there's been multiple plays this, this year where he should probably have six touchdowns, but Lamar missed him um, miscommunication on something he's running wide open. You know, it, it's like, I've seen that a lot too, but I've also seen him not gain, gain the separation, but that's going to happen. Cause guess what? Those dudes get paid too. And those corners are going to have their days 
they watch film, they study, they know tendencies. I mean, that's the in-depth breakdown of NFL films and, you know, uh, you know, NFL coaching is they find like those tendencies, they find like leveraged angles and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, you're going to, you're not going to win every single matchup, but you need to win the majority of your matchups. But when it comes to just effort stuff like that, that bothers me. Um, as far as Dez and Luke Wilson, I mean, I don't see why not bringing them both up. Um, getting Luke Wilson up to speed, it's a little easier to get a tight end up to speed in this offense than it is a receiver because of the complications of, you know, blocking schemes versus route combos, stuff like that, or lack of route combos, whatever you want to say. But um, it, it, I think that it, it doesn't help or hurt right now. I think it could help more than it hurts because, I mean, at this point, you know, something needs to shake it up. I mean, there's a lack of confidence in that locker room. Um, last year we were dominating, but everybody, that's when big trust came out, you know, like everybody's having fun. They're not really having that fun anymore. And there's a lot of pressure. And I think a lot of things that Lamar's doing is he's forcing things. Cause he's got like the world on his shoulders. People are so critical of him and I don't get it. Um, but I, I think that it would be time to bring them both up and, and just shake it up a little bit. Now, it's funny that you mentioned the world being on Lamar's shoulders, Grant, because a lot of um, a lot of the weird criticism on Twitter I'd seen was of Lamar's body language, which is almost the same as, as the criticism of Flacco, where Flacco cared too little. It seems like Lamar cares too much, just showing his dejection after, you know, a stalled drive. And you can't blame him. He's a young kid. I mean, he has passion. It happens. You know, I, I don't He's care about body language. He's a competitor. I'll take the dog any day. You know, Flacco did what Flacco did, but that was one of the things that killed me with Flacco more than anything is just, I'm not saying you got to be a rah-rah guy, but, you know, show some emotion, show some leadership. Lamar's 23 years old and he's, you know, he takes accountability. You never hear him blame anybody else. Even when it's not his fault, he's accountable for it. And you can't coach that. You can't teach that type of mentality. And I would take that type of mentality over anybody. And that's why he's my guy. He's my QB one. Yeah. And, and, and it's, um, you know, different styles are going to work for different quarterbacks and different leaders. And I think it's just silly to harp on body language, regardless of what quarterback or what player, just because everyone's going to handle situations differently. Now we're going to turn the page to week 11. We have a Sunday afternoon tilt one o'clock, the Ravens hosting the Titans in a divisional playoff uh, rematch, which the Ravens are not touting as a revenge game, but to us it's a revenge game, Jake, I'm going to start with you. We've got a lot of question marks heading into Sunday. I mean, this game, even though the Ravens are not eliminated from the playoffs, I mean, this could end up having ramifications to the end of the season, win or lose. Uh, what are your thoughts going into Sunday? What can the Ravens do to come out with the victory in the end? To come out with the victory, they need to stop Derrick Henry. You stop Derrick Henry and make Tannehill have to beat you. Who Good things happen. Make them play to the strengths of your defense, but you have to come out and stop Derrick Henry early and get a lead. Get up on the Titans. They've had earlier in the year, they had moments of coming back and either winning the game or coming close, like against Pittsburgh when they were down, I want to say it was 27 to three. And then AJ Brown breaks off that 80 yard touchdown because Minka Fitzpatrick missed the tackle. They have the comeback kid in them, but that being said, you're going up against a secondary that'll have Jimmy Smith back most likely. Marlins back. Marcus Peters is there. They you're going up against the real strength of that de- of that defense. And I feel very confident with pretty much anybody under center slinging it 
against that secondary. I feel good about our boys, except unless it's like Patrick Mahomes or somebody because that they're too deep. That's like dealing with the Warriors back in what during their heyday. They are too deep. Even if one shooter had an off night, someone else would be on and they would still put up 130, 140 points. But all things considered, this week, the key is stopping Derrick Henry. That that's first thing, things first. If he if you can't stop the run, they're going to run all over you and you're not going to win the game. You have to stop him. Get a lead, do whatever you need to do to make them have to drop back and let you get into your packages that Wink likes to do where people are standing up and what people call the amoeba defense or whatever, like what the Dolphins are doing, what the Patriots did last year. Run more of that because Wink likes to get cute with those nickel packages and have defensive linemen and linebackers walking all over or the front trying to confuse the offensive line. Do that. The key would be Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell coming back. I hope they do because if they do, I'll be much more confident in us beating the Titans. Without them, it's that's a dicey situation. That much I'll say. But either way, for the fans, it'll be a revenge game. For the Ravens, it's get to seven and three, win out, and hope the Steelers drop two of the like two of the three games that are losable on their schedule, including against the Ravens. They need to lose this was Thanksgiving. They need to lose against Buffalo. They need to lose against Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, but lose against the Colts. That's essentially what the Ravens and Ravens fans will be hoping for because then you have a shot at the division. No, that's that's assuming that the Ravens take care of their own business. And in theory, I mean, the Ravens are still in command of that final seventh seed at minimum if they were to win out the rest of the year. So I mean, it's not as if all hope is lost. But Grant, I'm turning to you now. The, the thought, I don't want to think about it, but the thought of, of finishing or rather being six and four heading into the Steelers game. I mean, it's a scary proposition, but it's realistic. I mean, so we're going to look at this game from a different angle. (laughs) In what way would the Ravens even be able to rebound if they do walk away six and four after this weekend? I mean, this is almost like all hope is lost here. I mean, how do you pick up the pieces from there? Uh, I mean, it's not a must win, but it's pretty damn close. Um, it's a very winnable game, but it's also a very losable game. And, you know, hopefully there's not a monsoon again. Um, I think that game the other night goes completely different. I know both teams had to play in it, but, you know, as far as a comeback or anything, you know, that was just out the window when there was 188 mile an hour winds and looked like somebody left the kitchen faucet on in the sky. But they, I mean, I think that, you know, Ravens have to come out and play their game, but losing this game would be huge to, I mean, go going, you know, six and four and into Thanksgiving um, with a really hot Steelers team is not ideal. Um, Between this stretch with the Patriots, Titans and Steelers coming up, um, you can't lose all three of those. And you definitely are in the hole losing two of them. We've already lost one. So, you know, this is, this is crunch time. I mean, we're midway through the season. We'll pass a little over midway through the season. Um, this is a time where if we're going to be a contender and a competing team that they need to step up. Um, you know, we talked last week about, you know, Lamar needing to step up. He stepped up, but it wasn't him on that game. So as long as he keeps progressing, um, I think he matches up well this game. They kind of, quote unquote, figured him out last year that they didn't figure him out. I mean, seven drops contributed to that. So, um, 
and he still combined for what over 500 yards of total offense. I don't care if he's down 30 when that happens or not. He still contributed 500 yards of total offense. Um, but you know, the defense is really going to have to happen. I'm not sure what's going on with Derek Wolf if, if he's going to come out if he's going to be playing. Um, you know, Calais coming back. I know mean, he's kind of iffy. Um, but I think this is an important game. And, I mean, this is why he was brought in. This is why we changed the entire defensive line. Uh, That's why we drafted uh, Patrick Queen. I know he came out and said that today about, you know, how he was trying to play a little bit more or a little bit lighter on his feet and try to finesse more. And he wants to play more downhill. I mean, play play your game. Like, you know, if, if you're a downhill player, play downhill especially when they're running the rock all over us and it's a rainy game. I mean, at that point you should have shifted your mentality, but that's, you know, nor here nor there, but, you know, I, I want to see him show up. I think this is a game where, you know, Malik Harrison has really been impressing me, not only on special teams, but the dude is a stone wall. And that's somebody that I think he's, he's got the type of mentality where he wants the challenge and he'll take the challenge. And, and I think that, you know, with the inside runs with Derrick Henry, I, I, I look for Malik Harrison to make a couple, you know, eye-popping plays in there. Um, but, you know, the defense is just going to have to focus. Can't let Tannehill beat us. They had some gadget plays. You know, they, they they pulled out all the stops last time we played them. So, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I feel like NFL teams have more success with, you know, gadget plays and, you know, stuff like that against the Ravens than anybody. I feel like we give up a gadget play every game for a touchdown or a big first down or something, but no, I mean, I think we have to win this game and coaching staff is going to have to take a long look in the mirror, not just the players on this team, but it's definitely doable, but I'm, I'm ready for Thanksgiving, but I'm nervous for this weekend. And uh, I mean, we're not the only ones nervous for this weekend. Grant, I'm going to come back to you in a second, but um other NFL news, I mean, Drew Brees in New Orleans is reportedly out for optimistically two to three weeks. But in my experience and having seen what's happened to players who have suffered, one, fractured ribs, but two, a collapsed lung, to have both injuries combined at the same time, I mean, two to three weeks is more than optimistic. That's a medical miracle. Um, so Drew Brees definitely out for this weekend, the Sunday's game uh, for the Saints hosting the Atlanta Falcons uh, NFC South divisional game uh, Saints sitting at seven and two grant. I, I um, asked you to kind of ponder this, this question, this situation, because I feel like it's, it's one that a lot of folks aren't really thinking about because they'd always assumed that Drew Brees was Mr. Reliable, Mr. Durable, would never miss a snap, never miss a down yet. Here he is tabled for potentially a month or longer uh, the Saints are in, in the driver's seat uh, battling against the Bucks for the division title. Uh, potential Super Bowl favorites is Dark Horse. Can Jameis Winston keep the Saints afloat, Grant? Or are they going to look to Taysom Hill? Uh, what, <laughs> talk to me about that quarterback situation down in uh, Louisiana. You, I mean, you can't really look to Taysom Hill. I don't understand the whole Taysom Hill thing, I'll be honest with you. Like the dude's mentality as a player, um, he runs <laughs> – one of the hardest that I've seen, and it's weird to say that, but that dude, when he's got the ball in his hands, you don't want to see him in open field at all. But he's a gadget guy. Um, you know, Jameis has had his share of misfortunes. You know, I mean, I think you got a guy that likes to cut it loose in an offense that you can cut it loose. Um, he's got weapons around him that can kind of um, – they're skillful enough. I mean, you got Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. You got the quick guys, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, Traquan Smith. You know, those guys, they – 
they are formidable enough to where, you know, a gunslinger can come in there and at least make something happen. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, you, you got to score points and um, the defense for the saints hasn't looked too bad. You know, they, they aren't bad. So if they can keep them in games, I mean, I think Jameis can definitely keep them afloat. And I'm not saying like, oh man, they're, they're on the same track with Drew Brees was under center, but I think he can definitely keep them in a, afloat in a wide open division. I mean, yeah, he's got the interception issues, but he's still, he's got touchdown problems too. So, you know, you take what you can take with it. Um, you know, who knows how he might fit in this offense better than Arian's offense. You know, Sean Payton's known for having those gunslingers. So, you know, look at it that way. I mean, he's got the weapons around him, like we talked about, you know, um, with Taysom Hill, I mean, you got a guy that was apparently the backup quarterback before they signed Jameis Winston. I mean, he signed a two-year, $20 million deal with eight, uh, was it 16 guaranteed, I think? Yeah, 8 million a year. So, like, man, you're giving a backup quarterback that has never, has not thrown more than seven passes in a season in his career, $8 million a year to run a couple backup snaps and Wildcats. Like, and, you know, everybody saw the joking comparisons to Lamar about that, which, I mean, I can't believe some people were serious about it. But you got Taysom Hill. He's 30 years old. You know, he's, you know, not a spring chicken. He's never grasped or controlled an offense. Like I said, he's never thrown more than seven passes in a season. So you can't really turn the reins over to him when you're in a competitive race for the division. Um, I think he's only got six attempts this year. Or, no, I think it was five attempts and four completions. So it's like you're going to give the reins to Jameis, still use Taysom Hill as the gadget plays. He might see more snaps on the field or maybe more Wildcats or something, but to just keep defenses off balance and honest. But I think he could definitely keep them afloat. And, um, you know, I'm always up for, you know, a nice underdog story and a second chance for your guy. Um, So he's going to keep it crabby and he's going to come in there and sling it out. (laughs) Now, Jake, turning to you, um, the Falcons have won two straight. They're still mathematically alive at three and six. They somehow learned not to blow a lead two weeks in a row. Um, are they going to give the Saints uh, a run for their money and walk away four and six? Or is Jameis Winston going to eat a dub as a starter for the first time? What are your thoughts? Well, at first glance, you would assume that the Saints are going to walk away and James is eating that dove in the press co- in his press conference just like Joe Flacco did against the Lions. Which, for the record, Flacco did it better. He did it better. I don't care if James started it. He ate that dub better. He did, and it was funny when Joe did it because he's a subtle bastard. Nah, Al, let's get to the point. <laughs> Atlanta's got a shot to win this game. Might sound crazy, but hear me out. Last year, coming off the bye week... When they hadn't won a game, they rallied the troops and actually wound up beating the brakes off the New Orleans Saints at the Dome, at the New or- at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans, same place where they forgot to pay the electricity bill or Jed York made a call to Roger Goodell begging him to turn out the lights. But let's not get into my tinfoil hat conspiracies. But anyway, yeah, absolutely, they have a chance to do it. Am I going to pick them? No. Because the Saints are clearly a much better team. That is what it is. No one's been able to stop Alvin Kamara this year. Michael Thomas is back and healthy. The defense is playing very well. So all things considered, you shouldn't pick the Saints to win. But Atlanta can give them a run for their money. They've played them tough in the past. that They typically split every year. So I would not doubt that the Falcons and Matt Ryan give the Saints a run for their money at the Dome. 
Yeah. That Marshawn Lattimore Julio Jones matchup is going to be dope. And that's absolutely gonna, that's going to be a battle all game long. There is no doubt in my mind. And in fact, I would be shocked, shocked if Julio had his way um, all afternoon. I mean, he's going to get his yards. He's going to eat, but he's going to have to fight. Yeah, they're gonna shave. Mar- they're gonna shave Marcus Williams over on him too, because they're gonna get that. Because he's got he covers a lot of ground, so they're probably gonna run a lot of cover too. Now, speaking of physicality, guys, um, Grant, I'm gonna turn back to you for this next one. We have another one o'clock game uh, this Sunday afternoon. The uh, Steelers are visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, normally we wouldn't give credence to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We wouldn't grant airtime if it didn't have any relevance to the Ravens. But in this case, we're making an exception because um, as Ben Roethlisberger himself pointed out, this is not a game they can afford to overlook because the Jaguars have had the Steelers number over the past few seasons. I mean, the Jaguars record notwithstanding for whatever reason across at least three different regimes, even going back to the AFC central guys, the Jaguars have played the Steelers tough. Um, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Don't particularly care because if anything, we need the Steelers to lose. So Grant, I'm going to start with you. Are we giving the Jacksonville Jaguars a shot even with or without Gardner Minshew this coming Sunday? What what are we going to see? Hell no, man. Golly, this is going to get ugly. I mean, it's any given Sunday thing. And, you know, like we talked about before the show is like, you know, Steelers always have that one game a year where they kind of, you know, maybe crap the bed against a lower level opponent. Um, but man, you got Jake Lutton under center. What was he last week? I think like 13 of 35 or something passing. <laughs> like it was like 55% or something. But James Robinson's a stud, I think, you know, but the Steelers defense is pretty good. And their linebackers are pretty fast and, you know, scrape really well, as we saw. And um, I, I don't think this is going to be one of those games. I think Steelers could absolutely just – turn it on and but my hope is is that you know maybe they do turn it on their confidence is already high they're super cocky right now maybe they go in a little you know gloating a little bit into that thanksgiving game and we can go ahead and humble them um humble pie next to the pumpkin pie um but no i I don't i don't think it's going to be a close game at all and 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 i'm surprised the spread isn't like 20 (laughs) (laughs) look i'm still trying to hold out hope for about baby shark over there dj shark um, at least doing something, but yeah, with Gardner Minshew already ruled out for Sunday. I mean, I hate to say it, I kind of agree with you, but I'm trying to hold on hope. So Jake, pull me back in here. Try, try to give me something. Do you think the Jags can pull it off against the Steelers on Sunday? Well, I don't, but that being said, you can't rule it out simply because again, historically the Pittsburgh Steelers have played up and down to their opponents. Let's take it back to 2018. The last time they had, Ben Roth, a healthy Ben Roethlisberger before the elbow injury and Antonio Brown when they were still a dynamic offense. They lose against the Oakland Raiders back when they were still playing at the Coliseum when people were thinking Pittsburgh was still a favorite or a contender to win the Super Bowl that season. They drop one to the Raiders when no one thought they were going to. Fast forward a week later, they finally beat the Patriots in pittsburgh then fast forward the next week they play the saints at the dome and it's a dog fight real close game and of course juju fumbles to lose the game and the saints kick the field goal to win so every year typically the steelers find a way to lose to bad teams 
I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out because again, anything can happen any given Sunday. And throughout the history of the Mike Tomlin coached Pittsburgh Steelers, they have dropped games to horrible teams, like against the Browns in 2009, or I don't like to recollect 2015 for obvious reasons, but when we beat them and we were five finished five and eleven that year when the entire Bring the mallet. <laughs> Had the freaking had a practice squad team playing against the Steelers and my mallet was dicing uh, them up. That was a lovely get day and a lovely game. It was a horrible year, but we swept the Steelers, so I guess it wasn't that bad. That much I could say. But even so, they always find a way to drop games to bad teams. Not every time, but they'll lose one like that in the regular season. Uh, we can even look back. They almost lost to the Jeff Driscoll-led Denver Broncos after Cortland Sutton went down and Vaughn Miller was already out for the year. Then Houston, who is eh, probably not as bad as their record is, but they're still not a good team, they almost lose to them. Look at the fake birds and the Eagles. They almost lose to them. Look at the Cowboys. That game ended in the same exact fashion as Week 8 which I won't go into any further details, but it ended the same exact way where the defense needed to stop to seal the victory against Garrett Gilbert and the Dallas Cowboys. Not Dak. Not Garrett Dak and Amari Gilbert. Cooper and him. Just <laughs> Garrett Gilbert. That's, that's all I'm saying. So you can't count it out. Last week I wasn't surprised. The Bengals can't protect Joe Burrow and the Steelers lead the league in sacks. That is a recipe for disaster. But all things considered... No, you can't rule this out. You really can't. So with that being said, small sample size, would you rather have Jake or uh, Jake Lutton under center or Garrett Gilbert? Garrett Gilbert, easily. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jake Lutton, he does disgrace to my first name. What's wrong with him? Hey, better than better than Ben DiNucci. That, DiNucci. That's very true. Hey, you ben ben DiNucci, come eat in my restaurant. I tell you what. Hey, fella. <laughs> Come eat my pasta over here. I'm Ben DiNucci. And then I got benched for a guy named Garrett Gilbert. What the what the hell, damn guy? <laughs> well, hey, look, I'm glad you mentioned Jeff Driscoll and the Denver Broncos because we can turn right around and write those guys off in the AFC West. But this is a nice segue into what I consider the game of the week with respect to our guys. Uh, Sunday Night Football. We're going to turn the page to uh, a whole different ball game here. Uh, last time... The Chiefs and the Las Vegas, not Oakland, Raiders met. Uh, the Raiders upset the Chiefs to give them their first loss of the season. Um, that was a dramatic game at Arrowhead, too. But this time around, the Chiefs are looking to return the favor over in Vegas. Now, this game right here is explosive under normal circumstances. But as this is anything but a normal season, we've got some news heading into the Sunday night because the vast majority, at least half of the uh, Raiders starting defense tested positive for COVID-19 or in their COVID protocol, one or the other. And um, <laughs> I don't know how the Raiders are going to pull this off against Patrick Mahomes and company without the same guys who made that victory happen. So... <laughs> This almost feels silly to talk about this game with such hype, given that COVID deflated the whole thing. But Grant, let me go back to you. What are your thoughts about this Sunday night primetime game between the Chiefs and the Raiders? I mean, as much as I'd like to see the Raiders win and win again, um, man, 
it's going to be tough. I think their entire starting defense, except for one, is on the COVID list. So you're talking about you're scheming for probably the most electric offense in the NFL under Andy Reid, and you got guys learning and trying to scheme again over Zoom. I mean, since the last time they've played, you know, Andy Reid, um, you know, he brings in new plays every week, like a, multi, a whole set, new set of plays every week. So it's like, you know, you're sitting here scheming for something that you might have seen last time, but you're doing it virtually. It's not going to give you the same aspect as, you know, being there, that that personal interaction, all that. So that's going to be a difficult adjustment. Um, you know, hopefully they're working out wherever they are, you know, safely. But, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but it's going to be tough to stop the Chiefs. You know, they're already going to play pissed off from the last time. So it's going to be tough to just like, you know, write them off right away. But with having that many people on the COVID list, man, this this could be another game that might get really ugly too. But, you know, go Raiders. Don't raid us. Hey, and this is a game for rooting interest. We technically are rooting for the Chiefs because realistically, I mean, the Raiders probably aren't going to win that division, even though they're still in the thick of the race. But uh, the Raiders are in prime position for a wild card spot. So, you know, if we're taking we're thinking the long game and trying to preserve our Ravens chances yeah we want the Raiders to lose but at the same time it's football we want to see a competitive game you know so um which Grant before I let you go from this one (laughs) how much of a slaughter do you think it would be if the Raiders aren't cleared by Saturday night are we talking we're gonna turn off TV by halftime or what, what are we thinking here I mean, I could see two to three scores. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, but, you know, it's a division game. You know, people probably would have said that last time, but look what happened. But it just really makes me nervous with all these guys on the COVID list. I mean, we saw what happened, you know, how our defense got torched when that happened with even half our defense, but that's the entire defense for them. So, you know, I, I mean, it could get ugly, but it's any given Sunday, you know, like we always say. But, yeah, man, it might be two to three scores if it's – if it's anywhere near that, but I'm hoping not for that, obviously. And I get what you're saying about the whole, you know, divisional wild card type thing. But at the end of the day, anytime I can see Patrick Mahomes take an L, I'm going to see Patrick Mahomes take an L because I got confidence in our boys to run the table in the end. Um, and we're going to make the playoffs. Now, Jake, moving on to you. I mean, I, I, I hate that a game with so much hype, has been deflated by by circumstances outside of their control. So we were talking about the Raiders' defense, but we're not talking about their offense with Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs and the forgotten men and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and such. But you still got Darren Waller there. Um, talk to me a bit about how do you think the Raiders' offense is going to fare against the Chiefs' defense on Sunday, even if they're playing from behind? Oh, ye of little faith. Now, I won't get into exactly who I'm going to pick to win this game yet, but hear me out. The the Chiefs' defense doesn't stop the run well. When they've gone up against very good teams with very good rushing offenses, they haven't stopped them. Even in the bad, even when we lost to them by two scores, they couldn't stop us running the ball. We just chose not to run the ball, and we couldn't throw on them to save our lives. So, I mean, that was what it was. That was an error in judgment from the powers that be now fast forward this week, Josh Jacobs had himself a day against that chief's defense at Arrowhead. Derek Carr had a clean pocket, got to hit the play action passes to Henry Ruggs down on the field, got to hit Darren Waller down the field. If anyone could keep up with them, it's the Raiders. 
But all things considered, even with the whole players on the COVID list, to my understanding, that those def- who it all depends on who really tested positive because the entire defense could be on there because they were exposed to it. But that being said, it's just like when I was last uh, two weeks ago against the Colts. When, yeah, you had to learn things virtually, but that being said, it's a division opponent who you play twice a year. So if you can figure out how to get ready for anybody, it's this week. Raiders-Chiefs, that's an old-school rivalry. That's They used to fight sure. back in the, in the AFL. So all things considered, don't count the Raiders in this. Not to mention the Raiders, you, you might call me crazy, they could very easily win this division. Think about this. They win this week against the Chiefs. Easily. <laughs> the Chiefs still have to go to New Orleans to play the Saints. That's a losable game. And they have to go to Tampa Bay to play the Bucks, which is also a losable game. Say they drop all three of those, they're 12 and 4. The Raiders went out, they're 13 and 3. Or if they sweep them and they wind up both being 12 and 4, the Raiders get the tiebreaker in that instance. So all things considered, don't count them out yet. Am I going to pick in against the Chiefs? Nah, I'm not going to do all that. I just want to get your hopes up a little bit. <laughs> and here's the reason for it. My you one just, reason. Hey, you were just buttering up Raider Nation. <laughs> That's right. I had to blue ball them real quick because I live out in the West Coast surrounded by Raiders fans. So, yeah, I'm going to piss you off. But it's all right. But here's my reason for picking against the Raiders. Historically, this is even going back to Philly. Andy Reid doesn't lose after the bye week. And the Chiefs are coming off a bye week. You give that man two weeks to prepare for anybody. It's a bad time for the other team. Hell, to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, listeners. Feel free to find me on Twitter or whatever. I don't believe the Chiefs under Andy Reid have lost after the bye week through his tenure since 2013. 2013. So I mean, right? I think I think you're right. Holy shit! Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because he barely lost in Philly after the bye week. So all things considered, you don't give Belichick two weeks to prepare for you, and you don't give Andy Reid two weeks to prepare for you. So, yes, I think the Raiders are going to lose this game. That's that's the reality of the situation. If they weren't coming off the bye week, I'd be rolling with the Raiders. But I'm not. I, I did see, like, an insane stat earlier. I think it was on PFF on Twitter, but it was like, Rodney Hudson, who where there was rumors the Ravens were going to make a move for him earlier in the year, um, he apparently I think it was eight. He's only allowed like eight quarterback pressure since like 2017, and they wow. said that there's like six people this year I think it was that have already allowed eight pressures, and I can guarantee you I know one of them. But <laughs> like, <laughs> but no man, I saw that and I was like, damn, for a center, you know, you think of all those eight gap blitzes, you know, the pickups, the double teams, the adjustments on the audibles, for a center to only give up eight pressures, because there's a lot of times where you have to move the pocket because you know, I mean, it's just easy to to manipulate those gaps if you stay consistently in the pocket. But man, eight pressures since 2017 is crazy. I mean, that's near perfection right there. That's all you can ask for for a center. But we're not going to talk about centers because we go all night about centers. So let's not talk about centers. Um, but yeah, no, guys, that was uh man, Jake, why'd you have to do me like that? I was I was so convinced that you were gonna be on my side here in a way. And just um I put it like this. Like I said, I want a competitive game. I really do, but at the same time, I also have to consider rooting interests. And yes, you did pick the Chiefs to win. 
as I would for rooting interest. But at the same time, Grant, I kind of want to side with you and, and go with the Raiders just because Mahomes eating an L would kind of be uh, interesting. It's a little chaotic good, if you will. Don't sleep I mean, on the got, Raiders. We got faith in Give our boys. Don't do it because yeah, so they I'm, very well could. Guys, I'm just going to both sides. I don't know how to feel about this game. I just hope that I'm not bored and going to turn the TV off at like halftime. So I'll, I'll take that as a win. Keep me entertained through two quarters. It's all good. It's all gravy. Mahomes so, is kind of good under the lights. Yeah, and that's what I'm counting on too. And I'm also counting on the Raiders defense to surprise, even if they are without some of their starters. Um, and even at a disadvantage um, with having no time or ability to practice this week. Yeah. yeah. And I look for Jonathan Abrams to have one kill shot. I love the way that guy plays. Shoot, I'm just looking for Derek Carr to surprise everyone in primetime because he's still got that label of just being only an average quarterback. But I really think Derek Carr is a, is a capable starting quarterback. I would build a franchise around him if I had to. Well, hey, fantasy sleeper, I'm pretty sure the last time they played, Henry Ruggs destroyed the Chiefs. Mm, yep, that's a good point. Did. Yeah. Meanwhile, I, I haven't been keeping track of Brian Edwards ever since I dropped him from my team. Um, but who knows? I mean, there could, there's no better time than the present to break out if you're Brian Edwards or even Hunter Renfro. Everyone's going to be worried about uh, Darren Waller, you yeah. know? So, Well, Aguilar, Aguilar's had a resurgence out there too. I mean, he hasn't had the drops he's like he's had in Philly and he's made some really big plays and had some big games this year. Yeah, I think he's found his niche. An outside receiver. They're, they're telling him to go long. They're not using him like a slot guy like Philly used him. So, yeah. I mean, they're playing more to his strengths. And which is he got contacts. And I also I, I will point that out, Jake. I'm glad you mentioned being on the outside. That's kind of um, the misconception around the league is if a guy is struggling, you stick him in the slot because it's easier for them to find space. But no, some guys are just burners. You want to put them on the outside because it makes sense with their skill set. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes down to, you know, when you're in the slot and you're running those quick, you know, those quick hitch routes, you know, the pivot routes, the digs, those types of things. Man, that ball's coming in hot. And you got linemen in your way, linebackers, you know, visions blurred, those types of things. Those are tough catches to make. You know, a lot of those burners, you know, they're used to in college, high school, everything. They're used to playing the ball down the field and, you know, creating separation down the field. So, I mean, some of those guys, it's, it's a hard transition. I mean, it's not – it's just like, you know, different cornerback positions and different linebacker positions. You just can't, like, put somebody anywhere and expect them to succeed the same way because their skill sets allowed them to fit in maybe a different position better. So, I mean, you know, there are guys, you know, there's guys that can pretty much play anywhere, but you know, some guys just really excel at certain positions and it's up to the coaching staff to determine that. And I guess Philly couldn't. Yeah. And we, we could go all night long about what Philly couldn't do with the talent that they'd squandered. But I mean, shoot, that would be a five part episode and have to break it up into chapters so we're not going to do that tonight because we are running low on time. So, And uh, we'll be back next time with a uh, recap of Ravens-Titans as well as a preview of Ravens-Steelers during Thanksgiving week. So, guys, this has been the Zone 32 Podcast, NZI's first All at 32 Podcast presented by NutriZone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties or online at NutriZoneInfraction.com. I'm Max. He's Jake. He's Grant. See ya! Oh, Max, Grant, Jake, Zone 32, only on NeutroZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.